Today on the Scottsdale Podcast, Pastor Phil is teaching us about prayer. Specifically, we are looking at the example that Jesus set for us in Matthew chapter 6. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome again to 2022. We're in the second week of 2022. And already a lot of you have experienced a lot of things in your life within this one week. I know that I have. I love it when my family comes, and I love it especially when my grandchildren come. And they came for Christmas, and man, we had a great time together. But I've noticed something. Every time I'm with my grandchildren, they leave me a gift. And they left me a gift of a head cold (laughs) this past week. Um, And my wife and I have both been sick all week. A number of you have struggled with that. But I told her, you know what? It is worth it to have those little kids home and to be able to play with them. So I'm struggling with the head cold and my voice may possibly go out and probably most likely by the second service. So just pray that the Lord would sustain me as we go through this. And, And as we're in this second week of 2022, so many of you have made resolutions. How many of you are resolution makers? How many of you like to make resolutions? Not many of you, huh? A lot of people have stopped making resolutions because by the second week, half of them are broken. And by February, hardly any of the resolutions are even kept anymore. I don't make resolutions because they go in one year and out the other. And, uh, and so we, I like to make goals and objectives. And goals and objectives are those things that can be fulfilled. I do that with my ministry and I do that with my personal life. Um, but every year I pray and I ask the Lord to give me a word for the year. One word for the year. And, and it's not that that's the only thing I do, but it's that that year I focus on that one word. Two years ago, it was intentional. And so I wanted to be intentional in everything I did. Last year was holiness, which was a struggle. Be careful of the words you pick because I picked holiness. And when you pursue holiness, you become to realize just how unholy you really are. And so this year, the word that I feel that the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart is the word prayerful, prayerful, that I know that I need to be better at praying. I know and have been convicted by the Holy Spirit that even though I have a prayer life, I don't feel that my prayer life is where it should be. And and prayer is one of the hardest things that any Christian can do. Of all the disciplines, it seems like the discipline of prayer is the hardest, it is the hardest because it, it is, takes so much work to pray. It takes so much work to stay focused. It takes so much work to be doggedly committed to seeking the heart and the will and the purpose of God for everything in your life. And I'm probably not the only person in this room that feels that that word may need to be a reality for your own life. And I know that when we dig into scriptures and we begin to see what God's word says about prayer, that we can discover why we can feel so easily defeated. Let me give you some illustrations. When you go through the New Testament, you find phrases like pray without ceasing, continue in prayer, continuing instant in prayer. In everything by prayer, let your requests be made known to God. Pray always, pray and do not faint. Men should pray everywhere, praying always with all prayer and supplication. And what happens a lot of times is when we start looking at this issue of prayer, many times we feel more beat down than we do about being encouraged. 
And what happens a lot of times is we start off with a real heart for prayer and we want to be able to be engaged in it, but then we lose sight, we don't see answers, or we get weary and we give up. And here's the thing. When we give up on praying, we give up on some of the greatest blessings that God has for his children. C.H. Spurgeon wrote these words many years ago. He says, effective prayer pulls the rope down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell for they pray so indifferently. Others give only an occasional jerk at the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continually with all of his might. You see, prayer doesn't just prepare us for ministry. Prayer is the ministry. Prayer doesn't just prepare us for great work. Prayer is the great work. In fact, if you go through the pages of scripture, you will see that no great movement in the scriptures happened without prayer. Consider these things. Prayer opened the Red Sea. Prayer brought water from the rock and bread from heaven. Prayer made the sun stand still. Prayer brought fire from the sky on Elijah's sacrifice. Prayer overthrew armies and healed the sick. Prayer raised the dead. And we see that Peter was released from prison by an angel. But it was the prayers that fetched the angel out of heaven to release him. And when we look at how important prayer is in our lives, it is one of the most important works, one of the most difficult works, but one of the most blessed works that we can as believers be involved in. So here's what I want to do for the next two weeks I want us to not really be beaten down by the issue that we don't pray enough. But what I want to do is encourage us to learn how to pray better. And one of the best ways of learning how to pray better is learning from the Lord Jesus himself who taught us more about prayer than any other person in all of the scriptures. And one of the best place to go is the most famous prayer that has ever been prayed. It is a prayer that has been prayed over the centuries. It's a prayer that has been memorized. It's a prayer that has been studied. You hear this prayer in weddings. You hear this prayer in funerals. You hear this prayer in football games even. Um, all kinds of celebrations, we hear this prayer. This prayer is known as the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer, but really that is not correctly titled because it isn't the Lord's Prayer. It is the disciples' prayer taught by the Lord Jesus. And the reason it's not the Lord's Prayer is because he talks about confessing sin. The Lord Jesus never confessed sin because he never sinned. So that prayer really isn't for him, it's for you and me. And in that prayer, Here's what he demonstrates for us. He gives us a clear roadmap of how to learn how to pray. So today we're going to look at a roadmap for effective praying. Next week, we're going to look at some roadblocks that keep us from effective praying. And so where do we begin? We begin with what we call the disciples prayer. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter six, Matthew chapter six. And we'll begin in verse 5. So if you've got your Bibles, you've got your devices, whatever it is that you have, open there. Father, 
Guide me today. Strengthen my voice and my body in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to say it together, okay? I've got it on the screen, and I want us to all say it out loud together. Here we go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For those of you who say, I don't know how to pray, congratulations, you've just become an effective prayer. You have learned to pray. And this is the prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. And it's only 66 words in this prayer. Simple, short prayer. Yet in this prayer, we see the majesty of God. We see the depths of God's heart. We see the attributes of who he is. We see the priorities of our life. We see all of these things in this prayer. And this prayer is designed as a great roadmap. And it has two peaks and one valley. It begins with praise, praising God. And then it dips down into the human valley of where we live. And he calls for petitions from us to him. Then it goes back to the peak of praise again. So it's like praise, petition, back to praise. And in each one of these peaks and valleys, there are road signs along the way that God gives to us to teach us how to pray. It's not the intention of the Lord Jesus that we just memorize this prayer and we just quote it all the time. Because this is a way to pray, it gives us a structure. And what I want to do today is show you that structure and encourage you this next week to use it in your own prayer life. But before we jump into that, before we look at how to pray, we need to look at how not to pray. Because Jesus begins in the context of this prayer, teaching us what not to do. Here's the first thing we're not to do. Don't be a hypocrite. Pray with sincerity. We're to pray with sincerity. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. This is what they would do. They would pray at certain times of the day. They would pray at nine in the morning. They would pray at noon. They would pray at three o'clock in the afternoon. And all of the Pharisees would position themselves in such a way that when it hit three o'clock or when it hit noon or when it hit 9 a.m., they were at the busiest street corners so everybody can hear them pray. And they were not praying in sincerity to God. They were just praying to impress other people. Now, one of the things that's always dangerous for us is when we pray, we must pray with sincerity of heart. When I pray and seek the Lord, it is not something that is just to be rote memory and I check it off my box. It is to be something that's sincere. It's something that flows from within me to him. So he says, don't be a hypocrite. Pray with sincerity. But secondly... He says, don't be haughty, pray in secret. Pray in secret, here's why. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. There is a time, Jesus is not saying there should not ever be any public prayers. I believe public prayers are very important because public prayers teach one another how to pray. 
And we join together in praying. But there is mostly our lives are to be a secret prayer life. Our our prayer life should be like that of an iceberg. Only one-tenth of an iceberg is visible to the human eye. Nine-tenths of the iceberg is underwater. And so our prayer life begins in the secrecy of our home where we are with God and by ourselves with him. And we pray in secret and we don't have to boast to everybody about how long our prayer life is. Here's a third thing. Don't be a heathen. Pray in simplicity. We're to pray in simplicity. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you even ask him. In that day, people would just go on and on and on, and they would just babble and recite the same phrases over and over and over. Here's the danger for us. This prayer is not meant for us just to recite over and over and over again because it can become nothing more than babble. But we are to be careful and make sure that our prayers are incredible. We are to pray with simplicity. Some of the most powerful prayers I've ever heard were the shortest prayers that you can imagine. One man wrote this. He said, it's not the arithmetic of our prayers, how many they are, nor the rhetoric of our prayers, how eloquent they are, nor the geometry of our prayers, how long they are, or the music of our prayers, how sweet our voice may be, nor the logic of our prayers, how argumentative they may be, nor the method of our prayers, how orderly they may be, which God cares for. But the fervency of spirit is that which avails much. I hear people pray long, long prayers sometimes, and I think, you know what they need to do with that prayer? They need to cut it off on both ends and set it on fire in the middle. Because we need to be these things. Now, the warning is, don't let this prayer become and settle and create those kinds of attitudes in your heart. Jesus says this, pray then like this. Here's how he teaches us, and here's the roadmap that any one of us can use as we pray. He begins with an emphasis on God the Father, and he begins with praise. He begins with praise. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer life always needs to begin with God. It needs to begin praising him for his attributes and adoring him for who he is because prayer is a communication between you and me or between us and almighty God. It is a communication of an intimate relationship. And in this, as we praise, he says there are two things that we must seek as we are praising him. One, we're to have the right perspective when addressing the Father. Always, when I'm speaking to the Father, there is to be a right perspective in mind. He says that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There are three things in this that we need to have the right perspective in. And when you and I are praising God, these things guide us in biblical truth. Here's the first thing. We need to remember that he's a loving Father. He begins by saying, our father, our father. This only applies to those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
For those of us who are children of God, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God, and God is our loving Father. Let me tell you, Jesus blew the people in that day away when he says, our Father. Only 14 times in the Old Testament does God appear as Father. 17 times we see in, on the Sermon on the Mount that he mentions Father, and over 70 times in the Gospel, Jesus refers to God as Father. And here's what's interesting. The word that he uses there is so intimate that people were uncomfortable with it. The word he used was Aramaic, which means Daddy. Daddy. How would you feel if the person next to you begins prayer? Dear Daddy, thank you. We would feel uncomfortable with that. But the point is, Jesus is saying is this, God is your heavenly father. And for the believer, that should be the name that we use to refer to God. I know we live in a culture today where a lot of people pray and they just say, God, God, God. And I hear a lot of young people today saying, oh God, help me in this and help me in this. It is true, he is God, but God wants us to see that it's much deeper than that. He wants us to see the intimacy that he wants us to have with him. And when I begin my prayers, dear father, it demonstrates the intimacy that I can have with him because of his incredible love for me through his son, Jesus Christ. He is your daddy, and he is perfect at being a father. Everything he does is perfect, and so we can walk into that, and when we begin our prayers, he wants us to enter into this intimacy with him. But there's a second thing he is. He is sovereign king. He's not only father, he is in heaven. He's the sovereign king of the universe, which means this. He's the ruler over all things. Which means I can have a certain amount of intimacy, but there is to be a certain amount of reverence as well. And so there's to be a balance here. I am to come to him understanding his deep love for me, but I need to remember who he is. He's the king of the universe. He's the sovereign one that runs everything. And when I come to him, I come to him with respect. I don't come to him and say, what's up, pops? I don't come to him and say, he's the man upstairs or the big kahuna. No, he's the sovereign king of the universe. And when I come to him, there is an intimacy there, but there's also a majesty. You know what I've noticed in our culture today? There's kind of a division and it's, it's, it's generational division. A lot of our young people really love the intimacy of God the Father. They love the intimacy of him. And we talk about worship and love and all of that. And then we've got an older generation that loves the reverence part of it. And they want to focus on the reverence part on it. I hear some of the young people say older people are not really into the intimacy. And older people say young people are not into the majesty. But it's both. And we are to approach God with this balanced approach of yes, he loves me incredibly but he is the king of the universe and I will demonstrate respect and honor to who he is. And here's the third part of that. His name is to be treated as holy. His name is to be treated, hallowed be thy name. Now that's a, that's a term we never use. Most of you don't use the term hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means literally to treat as holy. And it means this, that we're to treat God as different 
as set apart, as holy. We are not to misuse his name and use it in common language. We're not to just belittle him by the language that we use to describe him. He is holy, set apart, unlike anything else. And I'm to treat him as holy as I go through the course of my day. When you look at the Hebrew people, they had a name for God. It's called a tetragrammaton because it had four letters but no vowels in it. It was unspeakable. And when they added the vowels, you get Yahweh or Jehovah from it. And in that Old Testament, if they would write the name of God, they would take a utensil that had never been used for anything and they would write the name of God and then they would discard it never to be used for anything else because God's name was so holy. And we're living in a culture today where you hear God's name treated all the time as common, don't you? Oh my God, did you see that? Common. Jesus Christ. I can't believe she cut out in front of me. Common. Oh, Lord, here we go again. Common. And when we pray, there is to be a respect that there's nobody like him. And so when we look at this first priority, this, this perspective, this is how we're to see God when we pray. I'm going to put this together in a minute. But not only is there to be this right perspective, but there's a right priority that comes along as well. When we're praising God, not only do I have to have the, the right perspective on who he is, when I'm praising him, I have to do so with right priorities. And in the priorities, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I love this because here are the priorities. We're to pray whenever we're praising God. Or whenever we're beginning our prayers, there's a priority of my life. And the priority falls into three things. There is to be submission to the reign of Christ. The reign of Christ. You know what that means? That means this, that Jesus is Lord. I want to tell you, you can't have Jesus as Savior without him being Lord. He is the king of the universe. And whenever I pray and whenever I think on these terms, I submit my whole life to his Reign. That means his kingdom, not mine. His throne is ruling in my life, not my little tiny throne. And I submit to his reign as king and as Lord. But secondly, I submit to his rule because not only is it his kingdom, but we find that it is also his rule as well. And that rule means the principles of God's word. That rule means his will and his purposes for my life. And so when I pray, I am to adjust my life under to his principles and to submit them to him. And here's the third part of it. My resolved obedience to Christ. There's a resolved obedience on earth as it is in heaven. I hear that phrase a lot. And a lot of time in our culture is taken out of context. And I see it all over the place. I see people who have signs everywhere. And it can mean a number of things on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, we talk about the peace on earth as there is peace in heaven. We talk about the joy on earth as there is joy in heaven. We talk about all of these things. But the immediate context of this is obedience. Obedience. Every angel stands poised in heaven ready to obey God's every command. 
And what this means is saying that in my life, God, I am ready to obey your commands. I'm going to do everything I can to give obedience to you. So when we begin our prayer, here's how it begins. It's praise to God with the right perspective of who he is and the right priorities of our lives. Now, let me show you how it works. Dear Father, thank you for your love for me. And that as a sinner, you gave your son to die for me. And thank you for the intimate relationship that I have with you. And Father, I bow before you today because you are the king of the universe. You are sovereign over all things and you deserve all praise and worship. And today, Father, help me to walk in a way where I honor your name. And I treat you as holy. And other people around hear the holiness of your character. And Father, today I submit to your reign in my life. I die to self and allow the Lord Jesus to be the king of my heart. And I seek to live by your principles and your word. And I submit myself to your teachings today. And I make a commitment to die to my own self and to walk in obedience. Help me in all that I do to honor you. That's it. That's it. There's the roadmap. There were the signs. That's biblical. It's deep. And here's the thing about that. You can use that same method over and over and over and over and it never gets stale. Why? Because the more you do it, the deeper your intimacy with the Father is. The more you do it, the deeper your obedience to him is. The more you do that, the more you understand of the character and the nature of Almighty God. And in that, there's the roadmap of giving him true praise and adoration. And so when we begin our prayers, our prayers are to be saturated with our adoration of him and not us. Let me tell you what prayer is not. Prayer is not about getting God into my way of thinking. Prayer is about God changing my heart to understand his. And when that happens, we hear and receive the desires of our heart. So we begin with this great peak of praise. And now we go into the valley. And in the valley, this is where God's kindness is so good to us. He's saying, I don't want you just to know how great I am. I don't want you to just get in this deep, intimate relationship with me without any blessings. I want to hear what your needs are. I want to hear where you are. And in this valley, we are given this incredible opportunity to communicate with the ruler and the king of the universe. So here's the second one. It's emphasis on us. It's emphasis on us. And this emphasis deals with our petitions. And again, there are three things that he teaches us in this. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me show you how this works out. There are three things we learn through this. Number one, my prayer is to seek the Father's provision. When I petition 
one of the things I should do is seek his his provisions. Now, there's nothing wrong, and Jesus teaches us, there's nothing wrong with the child of God asking God to provide because God's heart is to do that. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, he doesn't just mean bread. He doesn't just mean food. He's talking about any provision of your life. Bread is the sustenance and was the sustenance in that culture. And it was very important for people to rely on bread for their well-being. But it's so much more than that. It can be your spiritual well-being, your physical well-being. It could be a specific need for your children or your neighbors. Whoever it may be, it is calling to him in all of these things. Now, when we pray and seek him daily for our provisions, it does two things in my heart. Number one, it encourages me to daily depend on the Father. Every day I depend on him. It's interesting. He says, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, give us this day our weekly bread or our monthly bread or our annual bread. He said daily bread. Why? He wants us to go to him daily and give us today our daily resources. What are the things that we need in our life today? And every single day I have the opportunity to go to him. I want to tell you what prayer is. Prayer is the antidote for the disease of self-confidence. It's the antidote for the disease of self-confidence. You may be a very gifted individual. You may have a wonderful job. Thank God for that. Thank God for the food that you have. Thank God for the provisions. My wife and I, we go out and eat and we always have the blessing at the table. And it is rare to see people do that even today. But it's a reminder of giving God thanks for the provisions he's made. But here's the second thing. It enlarges my prayer for others. It helps me to not only think about my family, but other families. Father, I pray for my neighbor who just had hip surgery. I ask, Father, that you would strengthen her and that you would protect her. I pray for Miss Laverne across the street. I pray for the Richards who live next door. What it is, is it teaches me to pray for other people too. And so when I go to the Father with these petitions, I also pray for other people. And so my prayer should always seek God's provision. But secondly, my prayer is to consider personal relationships. Oh, this is a tough one. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is really tough. And yet Jesus says more about forgiveness in his prayer than anything else. He concludes the prayer with two verses of commentary on forgiveness. Why? Because relationships are so important. You know, there's an old saying, a little poem that says, all to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be the glory but to live below with those we know, now that's a different story. And we have to live with one another in that. And so in this, he's teaching us that, hey, you need to forgive one another. Now the debts here, and actually go back one, the debts here are dealing specifically with sin. It's not a financial debt. The word is also trespasses. It's people who have sinned against you. And it's, it's when you have sinned. Forgive us our debts it gives us the opportunity to confess our sins to a loving father who promises to forgive us. But not only do we confess our sins to him, we forgive people who have hurt us. 
And this is very important. Jesus tells us a parable later in Matthew's gospel, chapter 18, of a very, very rich king who had a servant that owed him 10,000 talents. Now, that may not sound a lot to you and me, but that's a lot of money. One talent, one talent is 6,000 days labor. And he owed, if um, just one talent would be 13 years that it would take to pay off one talent. He had 10,000 talents. That's 130,000 years to pay off his debt, which is impossible. But the king releases him. He says, you're free. I remove your debt. You owe me nothing. The man was joyful. He runs out. And what does he do? He finds a slave that owes him a denarii, 100 days of labor. And he takes him and he strangles him. He throws him into the jail. And he says, you're not coming out until you pay every bit of it. Then the king hears about it and he calls the man back. He says, are you crazy? Are you insane? What I've forgiven you, you cannot possibly pay back. And yet you wouldn't forgive this man who owed you. And here's the picture that Jesus is saying. That you and I as sinners, when we are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, the debt that has been paid is insurmountable. You and I could never have paid that off. And when he sets us free and we walk into freedom, it is unconscionable for a child of God not to forgive somebody that's hurt them. It's unconscionable. How can you stand before God and thank him for his forgiveness when you have a grudge against someone? And the Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts here and saying, listen, when you pray, make it right in relationships. If there's a grudge, let it go. If there's forgiveness to be sought, seek it out. And when it comes to forgiveness, there are three things we should do. Forgive just as you are forgiven. Remember what has been done for you through Christ. Secondly, forgive to demonstrate that you have been forgiven. When I forgive people, it's a demonstration that I have experienced forgiveness myself. And thirdly, forgive before you need to be forgiven. Let it go. Forgiveness means to release a debt, which means you owe me nothing. Okay, and here's the third part of this. My prayer is to seek the Father's protection. This is not only his provision, not only personal relationships, but his protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What's he talking about there? Does God lead people and tempt people to sin? Never. Never. Read the book of James, chapter 1, verse 13. God never leads us to temptation to entice us to fall into sin. He never does it and never will. But there are times where God allows us to feel and be tempted. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And the meaning of this is to protect us from temptation is simply saying this, Lord, please don't allow me to be in a state of temptation that could possibly cause the weakness of my flesh and cause me to sin. Deliver me from that. And every temptation that you and I feel and we will feel is the opportunity of calling on to the Lord Jesus to rescue you. All right, how does this part look? We've looked at the first part, if you put it in a prayer. The second part. Lord, thank you for the provisions in my life. 
Thank you for the job and the house and the car. Thank you for everything that we have. And Father, I, I thank you for my neighbors and I pray that you would bless them as well. And you can go on and pray about that. Pray about the specific provisions that you have. And you pray about that. And you say, Lord, if there are any relationships in my life that are not honoring to you, forgive me for my part on that. And Lord, if it's not right, teach me how to make it right. And Father, let me be an example of the Lord Jesus to all around me. And Father, please help me in my weaknesses. Today is an opportunity for temptation for me. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would give me the strength and make me aware constantly of the temptations around me. Do you see how that works? And it's just, again, taking that roadmap and using it. So he goes from the peak of praise. He's in the valley of this um, asking and for prayer requests and petitions. But now he's back at the peak again. And the emphasis is on God. And here's what he says. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now here's what's interesting. Some of your Bibles have them in brackets. The brackets mean that they were not, this phrase or this passage was not in the most um, recent and reliable manuscripts. It means that it's not in the earliest manuscripts. If you have the ESV, this doesn't even show up um, in your Bible in verse 13. It doesn't show up. It's not even there. But this is a wonderful conclusion anyway. Because it helps us to be reminded that we start with praise, we end with praise, and this is a crescendo of praise. Because as he says, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Let me show you what it looks like. It is God is sovereign. He's, God is, thine is the kingdom. He's sovereign over all things. God is powerful. That there's nothing he cannot do. God is majestic. He receives all glory and God is eternal. And if I put it into a prayer, I close my prayer as God, thank you for all of these things. And Father, I know that these are not hard for you, that you're in charge of the universe and you can do whatever pleases you. There is nothing too great that your power cannot overcome in my life. And I may feel small and insignificant today, but I pray that your glory would fall upon me as I walk for your glory today. And Father, I thank you that you are always the same yesterday, today, and forever. You hear the confidence that flows out of that? And then it closes with amen. Amen means may it be so. May it be so. And in this context, here's what it means. May it be so for me. May it be so for me. Now, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, there are the roadmaps. And what you do is you take it and you build it. And Jesus teaches us all the components of praying in a way that it involves all these necessary things that bless the heart of Almighty God. And so the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, we have some questions we have to ask in closing. Can I say our if my religion doesn't love people who are not like me? Can I say Father if I have not submitted my life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? 
Can I say who art in heaven if all of my interests are on earth? Can I say hallowed be thy name when I misuse it and treat it in commonplace language every day? Can I say thy kingdom come when I want to be on the throne of my life? Can I say thy will be done when I do not want to submit to your principles and your commands? Can I say on earth as it is in heaven when I will not even here on earth follow you as a faithful servant? Can I say give us this day our daily bread when I'm not ready to put out effort to earn it and to share it with others. Can I say, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors when there's resentment in my heart towards someone who has mistreated me. Can I say, and do not lead us into temptation when I constantly put myself in places where I'm tempted. Can I say, but deliver us from evil when I do not spend time in prayer in the spiritual areas of spiritual warfare. Can I say, for thine is the kingdom, when I will not submit, for thine is the power, when I'm more afraid of my neighbors than I am of you, where thine is the glory, when I live my life for myself and not for your purposes, forever in anxiety, wondering what eternity would be for me, amen. I really didn't mean it. So there's the roadmap. Here's what I would encourage you to do this week. I want you to encourage you to every day to take the roadmap and just begin. And take the phrases, the way that we broke them down, and just begin with the time of praise and pour into God and focus on him and intimacy and majesty and holiness and take the Lord's Prayer and apply it to your life this week in such a way that it becomes the roadmap. Now, here's what you would do. It may be a short prayer. It may be a three-minute prayer. Praise the Lord. It may be a 30-minute prayer. Praise the Lord. It doesn't matter. Begin and take the Lord's Prayer every day or the disciples' prayer every single day and let it be the model. Let it be the, 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 the road signs for you to learn to pray effectively because the truth is every one of us can pray. As a child of God, you can say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. Guess what? You just prayed. But now God wants to teach us to pray deeper. You know what leads to more, much prayer? More prayer. More prayer. And I want to encourage you in this next week to be prayerful and see if God doesn't change your perspective and what's happening around you and your sensitivity to him and to the people around you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Use it in our lives this week. Help us, Father, to grow deep in spending time with you and knowing you and pleasing your heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottsill.org slash next steps. Till next time.